Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, Brendan S. Scott with you again. Special thanks to Wayne Gretzky from the Oilers Entertainment Group for uh joining us and uh educating us and sharing some stories uh about the passing of uh former Edmonton Oilers head coach longtime Oilers assistant John Muckler who of course had a lengthy and extensive uh NHL career it is currently 12:33 in Edmonton lots to get to uh here on the Tuesday edition of Oilers now uh we will uh tell you that we've got Eric Ingles coming up out of Montreal. Uh, each day this week, we're going to look at a Canadian team. Yesterday, it was Ottawa with Gord Wilson. Today, it is Eric Ingles with Montreal. He will join us at 1.30. But uh, as we do every day, every Tuesday at uh, 12.35, Mark Spector for the Horses and Horse Racing Alberta. The 7,000 men and women working in the Alberta horse racing and breeding industry uh, joins us. Spec, how are you doing? Pretty well today. Bob, all things considered, how are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some tough news uh, last night uh, involving the passing of uh, John Muckler, a man of uh, 86 years of age. Uh, and you had just sort of transitioned into the orders at that point on a day-to-day basis, obviously. Uh, I, you know, Mark, you and me have talked about this in the past, and I, I know we just had Wayne on the show, and he wasn't actually on the team that year. But for me, the 89-90 Oilers Championship is my favorite because maybe people didn't expect it. But I think what everybody kind of knew around hockey when John Short, who I I saw last night, by the way, at the uh, World oh, Junior. Yeah, he was at the World Junior game. It was great seeing John there. Oh. You know, John Short used to do the pregame show and used to have Rod and Ken Brown uh, as the play-by-play tandem. They always, you know, showed a tremendous amount of respect for the contributions of John Muckler even before he became head coach in '89-'90. Uh, then, of course, leading the Oilers to their fifth and final Stanley Cup. This guy uh, was was ahead of his time in a lot of different areas from a technical uh, technical perspective and it's interesting how Wayne talked about him being the perfect complement to uh, Glenn Sather along with Ted Green. Well yeah Slats was the psychologist and uh, guy that pushed the buttons and as Wayne just said one of the best bench coaches well the best bench coach Wayne Gretzky ever had I think that carries a little gravity Uh, (laughs) um, and 
You know, one of the things that happened with the mid with the eighties Oilers, Bob, and I, I found out a lot about this when I was doing the Battle of Alberta book. Glenn Anderson told me that that right if you look at the regular season matchup between Edmonton and Calgary, it was around eighty six. The Flames started winning in the regular season a lot more. They, in fact, in the late eighties, had a better regular season record. They won more games than Edmonton did, and. You might even remember the score of this game, Bob, because that's the kind of guy you are. But right near the end of, of the 86 regular season, Edmonton and Calgary played. And Calgary beat the heck out of Edmonton. Yeah, it you was know. an ugly one. It was uh, It was like, oh, it was, I think it was like, it might have been, been 9-2 or 9-3 spec. Right. And Ben Anderson said to me when I was doing the interviews for that book, he said, you know, we never – we should have taken that as a real warning that they had figured us out technically. And this is Badger Bob Johnson, who's one of the great technical coaches of his generation. And he'd really, you know, he found like, they were just talking about how, how, um, Mark, uh, it was Muckler, nine, sorry to interrupt. It was a nine, three, uh, Muckler had, had did things like he said, don't shoot it in on Hextall's left. Well, well, Bob Johnson knew which way you wanted Paul Coffey to come up the ice because he was more successful on one side than the other. Things like that. And frankly, the Oilers lost that series fair and square to Calgary. We think of Steve Smith's goal, Bob, but you're well aware that you know, the Oilers chased that series the whole way, right? They yeah. were the second best team in that series from start to finish. Calgary was better and they won it fair and square. And it was Muckler that, and Ted Green that really came along with the technical aspect. You'll remember the Oilers could never win in Boston Garden in the earlier in their time, right? The, the little rink, the Bruins forecheck, they couldn't figure it out. Well, it was Muckler that figured out how to win in Boston Garden. Sure, he had tons of talent, Bob. We get that. But he came up with the game plan and the technical expertise to go into Boston and play the kind of hockey you need to play to beat the Bruins, and the Oilers did that at two Stanley Cups. So, you know, you needed slots, but you also needed Muckler and Teddy Green, and Muckler was one of the best in his day at the technical aspect, for well, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, you think back to the, the 80, I mean, there's the, the, there's now a banner at Rogers Place, you know, the best team in the first 100-year history of the National Hockey League for 84-85. I think you and me both personally think the 86-87 team was actually better. They just got pushed to seven by Philly in the final. Uh but the, the the fact is they were so dominant against uh, Philadelphia in 85 as that series closed out that, to me, it made me wonder whether or not they just thought they could re- rely on their sheer physical ability. And, mm-hmm. and and I think what happened, like, there were, there were some discipline issues late in this, not, not in the room, on the actual ice. Like, if you, you can watch this and go, you know, Calgary had a lethal power play back then, too. And, yeah. and, and they could, and they could get you on the power play because they had two guys that could, I mean, they had Al McKinnis shooting the puck and they had Gary Suter, like, who was a rookie, I think he won the rookie of the year that year. So, uh, you know, and that, that seven game series and people say, well, Steve Smith, there wasn't one guy in that Oilers team, Mark, to blame Steve Smith for anything when they lost no. to Calgary. Cause as you mentioned, they lost four games in the series, but, you know, they came back. Flames got knocked off by Winnipeg in 87, so we didn't get that chance to see it. Even in 87-88, Mark, Calgary finished ahead of regular season, uh, ahead of Edmonton, but it was the Oilers that made the adjustments in series. And a yeah. lot of and a lot of that came from, uh, you know, the work of John Muckler and Teddy Green. And then going into Boston in 88, everybody's like, oh, the Oilers never went in Boston. <laughs> 
Because they never did win in Boston. Except except <laughs> in that series, they did win in Boston, right? Yeah. So, uh, And in fact, if I recall correctly, I don't think they've lost a playoff game in Boston in 88 and 1990. And John Muckler was a part, obviously, of both those staffs. And then he had a, and he had a pretty good... Well, go ahead, Mark. I'll get you get your thoughts well, and we'll jump. And he was... Uh, you know what else Muck was, was? First of all, he's one of these old-time hockey guys that you and I have... So much respect for it. You know, when you, like, I mean, he played for the Long Island Ducks in the Eastern League in the 60s. He was a player and a player coach. And, like, they don't, these, you know, these type of people, whenever we lose one, Bob, we lose a chapter in the book, right? Sure. We lose a page of hockey history. The John Mucklers, the Tommy McVees, the Glenn Sathers, those, the, the hockey's never going to be like it was back then. But what Muck was, especially, I was a young reporter in the room. Nobody knew who I was, and I was just, I knew who they were. They didn't know who I was. And, you know, I remember when the slots was, was tough to deal with, and he was very intimidating. And especially if you weren't like Jim Master or Dick Chubay, he pushed you around a little bit, you know, metaphorically. And I can remember John Muckler and Teddy Green. You know, if you had a rough time with slats, one of those guys would come up, Teddy Green would come up and kind of punch you in the arm and say, hey, how you doing? Just so you knew that you were still okay, and John Muckler would would make his way over and make sure that he included you. Cam Cole tells a great story that he bought these he bought these new glasses and he loved them. He was quite proud of them. They had these sort of clear white frames on them, and he's waiting in the lineup at the airport to get. We all flew with the team back then. He's waiting at the lineup at the airport, and John Muckler says, "Hey, Cam!" And nice and loud, so everyone can hear. He says, "You're going to do a little welding today." <laughs> And and the point was, in hockey, when they kid, they love, right? When they when they include you in a joke, it's because you're included in in the group, and that's the kind of guy Muck was. If he thought that you know he didn't mind including you in a joke, and he wanted to make sure you were somehow included in stuff, he was just a kind of fatherly good guy, right? I uh, went to high school with Chris Green Speck. And uh, one time, and Chris was in pretty good shape, but one time I got the upper hand on him uh, wrestling. And I guess he said, I started, uh, as you know, sort of around the mid-90s behind the scenes, but I was up always by, you know, doing the font cord and stats mark by where the Oilers uh box was and that's where teddy used to be and he goes yeah my kid told me about you he said you 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 want a wrestling match against him and he <laughs> looks right at me he goes i just want you to know right now i'm 56 but i can kick your ass right now. <laughs> oh yeah yeah no there teddy was, was that guy there was no way. and he could have and I just started laughing, right? Because oh, it's just just funny. But yeah, it, good was, stuff. it was different then. Like you know, I'm not saying it was even better, but it was just different. We we flew on commercial airlines with the players and the teams, and it, 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 you hoped you don't become too much part of the group that you wouldn't break a story or that you wouldn't criticize. But you know what? It was everyone thing. But everyone was kind of in it together, I guess. And a guy like Teddy. You know what? A, and then Muck, they were just—they were sort of those fatherly hockey figures that I look back on as a younger guy. I learned a—I oh, learned a lot from Teddy Green. I learned a lot from Ronnie Lowe, and I learned I wasn't around Muck as much as I would have, but would have liked to have been. But uh, a smart, smart, experienced hockey guy, and you know, God bless him. He was a good man, and and he was really a big part of that dynasty, a much bigger part than I think a lot of people would give. Yeah, him. I think they're starting to get that sense here. And obviously, look, John had a pretty extensive career buffalo uh the rangers 
Ottawa to the Stanley Cup after, but I just want to circle back to something. You know, the first couple of championships that they won, I don't mean to disrespect sort of, they were so physically gifted, Mark. You know what I mean? Like, you've got Mark Messier. They, they commit to Messier Center in 83-84 during that season. Now you got Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier won too. Um, but it was what they accomplished sort of, in my mind, almost. Like, that 87 team was ridiculous on paper. You had Kent Nielsen playing with Anderson and Messier. You know, you, know, you had, obviously, yeah. Cur- Curry, Gretzky, and Tickenen. I mean, those are two obscenely you got uh, four hall of uh, famers between those two lines and kent nielsen for his era might have been the best swedish forward produced during that time and essa tikkanen was the second best finished forward next to the guy that was on his uh, the line with him but in by the time you got to towards 88 team wasn't you know paul coffee was gone don't mean to disrespect Frank simpson big time score right all that but you don't have coffee a hall of fame defensive then you get into 1990 you don't have wayne and, and, and to me, that shows a bit of the evolution in how technically, like, if you watch them from a tactical perspective, they were a better team by 88-90 than they were back with those first couple cups in terms of how they specifically played the game, the discipline, the commitment they played with, their defensive awareness in those 88-90 series against Boston. Mark, they outscored Boston 21-8 to in 1990. It wasn't close. They shut them down. Hmm. Well, I think when you take that level of talent that they had, and then you don't just let them, I'm not saying Sather just let them run loose. They had a plan, but uh, when you mix that level of talent in with a, with a really strong game plan and proper pre-scouts and all of that, uh, now, you know, they become a, obviously a difficult team to beat. They won five and seven. Yeah, absolutely. It is uh, 12.45 in Edmonton. When we come back, uh, first we're going to... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Transition into the World Juniors because it's a big night tonight. And then after 1 o'clock, we'll talk about Oilers training camp. You're listening to Oilers Now. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. This text comes in on our Ashley Five Floors text line. Bob, uh, Wayne Gretzky sure is a big-hearted dude. Absolutely class act. No surprise uh, that uh, Wayne uh, stepped up and uh, uh, joined us in the opening half hour of the show. Uh, Bob Stoffer with you along with Mark Spector. Spec for the horses and horse racing Alberta. 7,000 men and women employed in the horse racing industry. Uh, Javier texts to say, Bob, I watched Dylan Holloway pretty close. He's maybe the least talented player on the team Canada, but his work ethic may get him through, and he plays much more of a team game style. Uh, uh, Gotta appreciate that. I can actually see him with dry saddle and Yamamoto as he can steal the puck rather well and has speed and size. Needs to work on a stick handling. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, he missed a game earlier in the series, and it was an upper body injury. Uh, he's had a couple opportunities come down the left wing where you would think he's going to shoot. 
and he hasn't shot. That might tell you that he's playing with a bit of an injury. But uh, let's bring Mark Spector back in for the horses and horse race in Alberta. Mark, the Oilers have had two first-round picks to play in this tournament. Both got hurt. Philip Roberg and Dylan Holloway. Canada has been unbelievable so far. They got the Americans. It's going to be a beauty of a gold medal game tonight. But give me first just a, a thought on Holloway and then also on Broberg. Well, Holloway, uh, I I think that he's uh it looks like a very good hockey player for one. He's a, he skates exceptionally well. So that's in today's game, Bob. You can have lots of stuff, right? You got to be able to skate, and he can. Uh, I like his. You know, I don't think he's going to come in here and be a thirty-five goal winger. He's not Patrick Laine, uh, but what he is is a is a player who I think can do a hell of a job retrieving pucks and winning battles. And, you know, you put him next to Drysaddle, and Drysaddle's going to get the puck on his stick a lot more because he's going to have a guy who's a, who appears to be, you know, he doesn't lose his battles, and he's a tenacious kid. And in the corners and behind the net, his puck battles are really impressive to me. And I think we say this about Yamamoto, right? Yamamoto goes in the corner against a big guy and comes out with a puck. Next thing you know, it's on dry saddle stick. Well, I think that's who Holloway is going to be for one of the centers in Edmonton. And that is a valuable guy to have. So I like him a lot. And Broberg, uh, we saw, what, what was he playing at, Bob? 70, 60%? Like, he didn't take a chance. He didn't rush the puck. He got up slowly every time he went down. I don't think, you know, if I'm scouting Broberg, I take this World Junior and throw it in the garbage. I don't think it was anywhere close to the player that, that he is. He's a, I think he's an excellent defenseman, will be a top four defenseman in Edmonton for years to come starting next year. Uh, he's a good player. I'll have him on my team every day. You were here, uh, you were at the scrimmages when we had the return to play in the summer, and Broberg was here. And that first week, he, he was the fastest guy in the ice. I mean, yeah. and I mean, the only other guy that was moving at that clip was part of the 97. You know, that, I mean, it was, because I've had people, I even had somebody say to me last night, well, like, you know, and it's pretty obvious he had a, you know, most likely a Charlie horse. Then he got hit high against the Americans. I think he banged up his shoulder. Uh, but can you maybe explain to listeners just in turn like what we, is it fair to say, Mark, what we saw in July, he never got to that against NHL players. He never got to that pace and level at the World Juniors. No, not at all. In the first game, you know, the first game of the World Junior where he had three assists, uh, he was really playing it from a rocking chair. Like, you know, he didn't get those three assists in a flashy manner at all. He just quarterbacked his team. And uh, I don't know if he was hurt at that point or he got hurt later. I just don't know the status of that injury. But what we saw in the return to play, uh, back in whatever that would have been, July, uh, you know, he just he dominated those scrimmages from a defenseman's point of view. He was fabulous. And there's just, a, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of young defensemen with some pedigree come along, but I haven't seen one that can step in with a bunch of pros and be head and shoulders right up there near the top at age 19. So as a 22-year-old, as a 24-year-old, as a 26-year-old, going to be an awfully good player wearing orange right there. Yeah, it's interesting with Holloway, right, with the offense, because we both know he's dealing with an upper body thing. Um, you know, and I was, I'll be completely frank, Mark, like I really wanted Seth Jarvis, who did not make the team. 
team because all the former Golden Bears that are working in the WHL were like, stop. Seth Jarvis is legit. He's going to play. He's going to be a big time player. He's uh, he's got a chance. He's going to be a top six scorer. And you know, the last time I checked, Mark, the goal is to outscore the opposition. That said, the thing about Holloway, I mean, does this timeline make sense for you, Mark? He, you know, tonight biggest game of the season for him. Then he goes back to Wisconsin. He finishes his year. They're playing him at center, by the way. Okay. And at the end of the season, do the Edmonton Oilers sign Dylan Holloway and pull him out after his second year? I mean, that's completely up to the player. If he, this would depend on how much he, you know, he values or wants to get a degree. But from a from the Oilers' point of view, absolutely. Watching him play, yeah. he's ready now to go. He's ready now to go to Bakersfield at the end of the year and play there. Um, and you know, knowing Ken Holland and the way they run things. Uh, let, let's talk about let's let's go into the assumption that we get back to normalcy in the hockey world here. I would suggest that he plays a, a season next year in Bakersfield for sure, a full season of pro hockey. I don't think he walks in the Oilers lineup because I don't think Holland's going to let many guys do that, if any. Uh, but yeah, your timeline works as long as you know, he's ready for your timeline to work. Let's say that, Bob. He is prepared to be done with Wisconsin. There's no doubt in my mind. Mark, what I would say. Is if he gets 12 to 15 games in the AHL this year at the conclusion of the NCAA season, which could happen, I could see him having a Yamamoto-type season where he's half up, he's yeah. down in the Baker's sure. start, and then sure. he ends up coming up at some point. because. And the thing is, he's got different tools in the toolbox. He can kill penalties. He he can play center and he can play wing. Mark, he's also six foot. He's two hundred and ten pounds. Dylan Holloway is, like he's and he's fast. Like there's not a lack of speed there. So, mm-hmm. uh, I you know I put it this way: the Oilers have got themselves a top nine forward. It's going to be up. Like I'm going to throw a name at you right now, and just for fun, just for fun, Hawk. Are you, you got a computer in front of you? Uh, yep. Type up uh, J T. Miller. And take a look at his first okay. three years with the New York Rangers. Okay? Because I'm telling you right now, I did not think J.T. Miller would progress to the level of player that he was for the Vancouver Canucks last season. Now, J.T. Miller is six foot one, 218, and I think Holloway is six foot one, 210 right now. Okay? Mm-hmm. J.T. Miller, take a look at the combined goal totals in his first 100 games in the NHL. He had, you know, he had like fifth in his first parts of two seasons. Goals. Yeah, like no, you know, then he progressed into a twenty goal score. Last year he was on pace for a thirty goal, eighty point season. I'm not saying that's the, like the high end from uh, Holloway. What I'm saying is when Miller came in the league, people thought maybe he's a third line winger. Well, he's unquestionably now a top six, if not a first line player. So, we'll, and a lot of it has to do with work ethic and. Miller has a different Miller can lean on guys physically. He has killed penalties in the past. He can do some of the similar things. You know, an American player, he went the U.S., uh, he went the, the junior route. But there were questions about you. You'll remember this, Mark. There was, a, there was rumors at time that the Oilers could have moved Yakupov for J.T. Miller. And fans in Edmonton would not have, at that stage, would not have wanted to have done that deal. Because this was like Yakupov's second year in the NHL when Dallas Aikens took over. So is that, you know, I I guess you would never, the point I'm making is you don't know where a player can go, but Holloway's got a lot of dimensions to his game, Mark. 
Oh yeah. I mean, we all played with that guy that, that never quits on a puck, like even at the lowest levels that I ever played at. Uh, and that it, it's not every player is like that. There's a special player, even in the NHL, there aren't not every player hounds a puck has that innate ability to never give up on a puck, to never, never want to lose a battle. Like that's what I see at Holloway. I just see that player that, that, you know, he's just, he's a badger. I know he plays at Wisconsin. I get it, but he's a badger. And, and, you know, when you have a bill, when you have a dry side of McDavid, we all think, well, who's the perfect winger? I don't know. Patrick Liney. Okay, sure. You'd love to have a 40 goal score right there. But another version of a perfect winger is a guy who's ready and willing and able to do a lot of the dirty work and to furnish pucks to a guy like McDavid or Dreisaitl. And, you know, the, the, they can count on tossing the puck gets tossed into the, into the corner that he's at, and it comes out on Edmonton's stick. That's a valuable winger to play with a top centerman, too. Anita has texted us on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. I love the tenacity and urgency Holloway plays with. He is everywhere. He plays harder than the majority of his team. He might not yeah. be as talented right now, but as he has work ethic at heart, will always impress his coaches and the rest of his teammates. You go, kid. Work some magic yeah. tonight, says Anita. Let's go, Canada. Mark. Anita's is- got it nailed right there. That's a perfect description right there, Anita has. Yeah, uh, Canada, U.S. tonight, like the Americans' top six is good, but Canada's lines one through four, it's like every single line looks the same. They just keep, I mean, it's been incredibly dominant so far, and the goaltender uh, Levi's been, I mean, I, I knew nothing about him before this tournament. But give me your thoughts. I mean, you've been at the games. You've obviously been watching the games. You know I've been there. What do you, what do you, what do you see with Canada? Well, I'll tell you what I am tired of. I'm tired of telling people that this next opponent's going to be able to give Canada a game. Because <laughs> I said that about Finland, and it was 4-1, to it wasn't very close. And I said that about Russia, and it was 5 nothing. And I, I'd like to say to you that this is going to be a good close 3-2 game tonight, and we're, it's, you're not going to know who wins after 40 minutes. But I've been wrong on that the whole tournament. Canada has taken every potential adversary that's supposed to be able to give them a game, and they bury them. So, you know, I'm going to say uh, I'm flipping sides. I'm going to think Canada's going to win this game by three or four goals tonight because they've been winning every game by three or four goals, Bob. They're that much better than everybody else. Well, in my mind, there's no question they're better lines three and four. Okay? And Spencer Knight had a tough start to the tournament but came back to be one of the U.S.'s top three players. Uh, Levi's just been stellar. Like, I mean, he's got three shutouts in, this, in the in the. What? Yeah, I know, but you know what? Has he faced a second shot? Yeah, you know what? That, right? that's, that's hit on that. Here's what we're going to do when we come back. We're going to hit on what Canada's brought to the table and on something that Slava Fedosov said about the Russians as well. It's rankled some people. Yeah, and then that. we'll get into a whole bunch of Oiler <laughs> training camp talk as well. Mark Spector for the horses and horse racing Alberta. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.